Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 141 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. We're currently in the midst of a short series during the month of August, focusing on back to school. We want to help you be as prepared as you can be as we all move into what we hope is going to be a normal school year. I don't know if we really quite know what normal means, but hopefully it's going to be a whole lot better than last year. One where they all go in person and hopefully don't have to wear masks. (laughs) That would would be our, our dream school year, yes. Every episode this month has been focused on helping you move into this new school year. So if you've missed any of the episodes, be sure to go back and listen to them as we all prepare to go back to school. So this week, Melissa had a conversation with a middle school principal about how we can sort of understand and support our kids as the year begins. Yeah, I mean, this was a super fun conversation. I mean, wouldn't you all want to sit down and pick the brain of your child's middle school principal? Our guest this week, Nabil Zarazef, is an adoptive father, husband, and co-author of a kid's book about adoption. That book is a part of the A Kid's Book About series, and he wrote that with Laul Gursky, who is a former student of his. And as we mentioned, he is a also a middle school principal in Portland, Oregon. So here's my conversation with Nabil. Nabil, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. We are so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So can you just start by telling our audience how adoption became part of your family's story because you are an adoptive family? Yeah, absolutely. So my wife and I started dating when we were about 16 years old. And um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've been together for a long time now, but at way too early of an age, we started talking about what a family could look like and if we were to get married. And part of that conversation, even back then, we had talked about adoption being a possibility. Her father um, was adopted. And so um, she'd heard a lot about his experience, um, you know, for better and for worse and just the, the complications and, you know, just kind of all the things that come along with it. So I think that there was a much better perspective that she had about what adoption means than what I did at the time. So it was just a conversation we had and we both agreed that, you know, we potentially would adopt one day. And then as we, you know, got older and got married and went through college and all that and started to talk about growing our family, we started trying to have biological children and there were some complications along the way. And we just kind of you know, we're met with a time where we had to decide if we were going to pursue some sort of fertility treatments or do, you know, like do more investigation into like what, what options we had. Um, And we decided at that point that we would um, take a look at adoption and that it just kind of made sense for us. Yeah. I love how that was part of your conversation all along. Is your adoption, was it an international, a private through foster care? It kind of morphed. So we went through a, uh, we were looking at international adoption first. And then kind of as we were learning more and doing research, there were some countries that were looking appealing at first. And then we, um, you know, had heard, you know, through our research or seen that, that there were more 
adoptions that were happening within the country itself. And so we decided that if that was going to be the case, that we would like step away from those programs because we would rather have people be able to to be adopted within their um, their birth country. Yes, we pursued that for a little while. And then um, as we were in the program, we actually got a call from um, our agency saying that I know this is, you know, not what you guys have been pursuing, but this, you know, um, there was a, a mother who was about to give birth domestically, but she lived internationally. And um, it was just a situation where it ended up being a domestic adoption. She was born in Chicago. Yeah, it was kind of outside of the program that we were initially looking at. I know. Well, right. If there's one thing we can ever say about an adoption process is that it never goes quite the way that you expect, even, you know, even if you get to kind of stay in the same program that you were hoping for. I mean, there's just so many twists and turns and unknowns. Oh, completely. And I think that I'm, I always saw myself as a pretty flexible person to begin with, but there is nothing like going through the adoption process to learn about how flexible you really are. And, and, you know, being able to, to work through different twists and turns. Well, and your guy's still pretty little, right? If I remember correctly. And so that yeah. I think that just prepares us. We're a little bit further down the road. All of our kids are teens and young adults. Like flexibility is kind of the name of the game because not only is the adoption process completely unpredictable, so is parenting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our son's two and a half. He was born on Christmas Day, actually. We got a call at like five in the morning saying, hey, you got to jump on a plane. Here we go. So, yeah. So two and a half and he's yeah full of energy and super fun and he he keeps us on our toes so it's it's great yeah well when you reached out to me on instagram one of the other things that struck me is that you are also a middle school principal of course immediately all of my questions flew to like i would love to pick the brain of a middle school principal who also is an adoptive father who kind of understands what maybe adoption informed looks like and and who has all this experience with kids um and so before I start to pick your brain about all of those things, what, why in the world, Nabil, why middle school? <laughs> what do you love <laughs> about middle school students? Oh, it's so funny you ask. Um, so I actually started out at elementary school. Um, that I was an elementary school teacher. I taught grades three, four, and five at different times. Um, and then was an elementary school principal for four years. Um, and so that's kind of where my journey began, but I had spent a little bit of time while there was an assistant principal at a middle school who was on maternity leave. And so I filled in for her at the middle school. And when I was first asked to do that, I was like, no way, there's no way I'm going to take that job. <laughs> like it just, I remembered what I was like in middle school. I think we all have kind of stories from middle school that are terrifying. At first said no. And then as I was kind of going through the reasons in my head about what, you know, why I was saying no, it was all fear-based stuff that really wasn't very rational. And so, um, so I, I went back and said, you know what, actually I thought about it, let's do this. And then I loved it. I loved being at the middle school level because the, the kids are learning so much. They're, they just want to be seen. They want to be understood. They want to feel a part of something and they can have some really great conversations. I mean, there are kids that, are going through more than we will ever know. And the way that they're able to talk about it and help us understand the way that they see the world. At middle school, I feel like that the door is wide open for those conversations. So I did that that sort of interim work and was at the elementary school for a while. And I just, I felt a pull to be back in middle school full time. Um, last year was actually my first year as a middle school principal. And with all the challenges of COVID and everything, it was kind of a an interesting year. But 
I feel right at home because the kids are so genuinely themselves. I mean, they're just so real. They're just so, you know, trying to figure out who they are. And yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun. Why do you think so many people are so afraid of middle schoolers? I mean, I know that sounds kind of extreme, but you mentioned like a fear response. I always tell parents, we never do our best parenting out of fear. We know that our kids don't behave their best out of fear. You know, I love like toddlers. I don't love parenting toddlers, but I love hanging out with toddlers. And I actually love teens, which I also know makes me a bit of anomaly, but I've never loved the middle school age. I don't know what it is. So what is it? Is it like the, is there an awkward, is it like that we're just not sure what to do with them? Like, are you like, do you have insight? (laughs) Why are we so stressed out, especially about parenting middle schoolers? Yeah. Well, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with parents that just feel this sense of helplessness almost where it's like, I don't know what to do anymore. I've tried. It's, it's almost like through the elementary years, they've learn ways to work with their kid to help them learn, help them grow, help them be safe. Hey friends, we are jumping into the middle of this interview to just make sure you know about the village. We know that you are in a marathon of sorts when it comes to parenting. And for the past almost two years, we've been doing it with a pandemic that just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So we want to let you know that if you're feeling at the end of your rope, burned out, like you just need some people who get it and you need some support, you will find that in the village. So we have a special group just for adoptive moms. Foster moms too are welcome and where we support one another and we learn together, we grow together, and we're very excited to now be offering a group specifically for dads. We know that there are not nearly as many resources for dads as there are for moms. Well, we have that for you now. And so you can get more information about both of these groups by going to theadoptionconnection.com slash village. work with their kid to help them learn, help them grow, help them be safe. And then as kids get older and start to test boundaries, start to have more independence, start to want more independence and freedom, the the tools and the tricks that were used in elementary school just don't work anymore at middle school. And so I think parents sometimes feel this sense of helplessness of why isn't this working? It's frustrating. Like I I've always been able to talk to them about this and now they don't want to talk to me or I've always been, we've always loved to do this thing together and now they don't want to do it anymore. And, and so it's like just this feeling of, you know, not knowing what to do next. And I, I always talk to parents about how it's okay to just be in that moment and just recognize that frustration of like, okay, we used to do this thing that they loved and now they don't love it anymore. I just need to like, be okay with that and figure out what, what else, like if I pay attention, if I really think about my kid right now, what is it that they're wanting or needing that I could help them with? And maybe it's time or space or, you know, things that I haven't traditionally given them. So yeah, it's just being in tune with, with your kid. Yeah. We talk a lot about that. And adoptive parenting is this attunement of trying to figure out where our kids are, how they need us, what needs they have that maybe they're not just coming out and saying to us, but maybe their behavior is showing. Uh, so that all makes a lot of sense. 
if you haven't read it, one of the best books on, I think, what happens to the pre-adolescent teenage brain is Brainstorm by Dan Siegel. Um, for those of you who are listening, if you haven't read it, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, but he explains how the brain literally is kind of uh, dismantling, like changing all of this neuro connections to rewire for adulthood and how that really does affect, like you were saying, like, well, we, he used to be this kind of kid. And now it seems like he's a completely different, you know, kid or what happened to my sweet and loving kid or my helpful kid, or how come we don't like to do the same things anymore? A lot of that has to do with those neuro connections. Um, and they do come back friends. We have young adults now and it does, it does turn around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll say too, though, the, you know, we all have our experience with middle school and kind of that's our frame of reference. Like our context is what middle school looked like when we were there. Oh, and it was awful. <laughs> yeah. And for a lot of people it was, um, but middle schools look a little different now. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more supports. There's a lot more focus on social emotional learning um, about really teaching the whole child and, and, allowing kids to, um, you know, to be themselves and to show up every day as they are. And I don't know that the, for many of us who went to middle school, you know, whatever decade it was, I don't, I don't think that the things were really quite that way. And then you add the layer of technology onto it. And I think that people do not feel super comfortable with technology and their kids using technology, especially if they don't really understand what all these apps are, or what they do or who they're communicating with. And so I think that, again, back to that fear piece, middle school looks very different. And then you throw technology on top of that. And people, I think, just don't even really know what middle school looks like anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, technology just by itself has, I think, completely morphed the landscape of of school, especially for preteens and teens. So that brings me to a question. I didn't prep you for this beforehand, so feel free to hard pass on it. But okay. what's the bullying situation like in middle school and what do parents need to know and what can we be doing to help our kids like in all aspects of this? I would definitely say that, you know, bullying exists. It's there. It happens. Um, it's frustrating and it's hard to get a handle on at times. I will also say, though, that people's definitions of what bullying is varies wildly. I mean, there are some that, you know, if somebody says something mean to them, that they now have been bullied. There's also, you know, definitions where people are taught or kids are taught, especially boys are taught that, you know, you need to tough it out and don't say anything. And, you know, like, you, you know, you either need to fight back or, or you know, that, so I think that there's just a lot of nuance that goes into who is doing the bullying, who's feeling bullied, and what their definition is. I will say, though, to counselors and social workers and teachers and really any staff at the school really have been working hard to understand the the nuances of when there's conflict and a conflict resolution. And I think that a lot of bullying that is continual, continual, it comes from a conflict not being resolved and we're never maybe going to get to like a, a full resolution of it, but we're getting much better at finding ways to really get to the root of the issue of what's going on and what they're bullying about and why, and what the impact is on the other person and digging into that in a way that before didn't really happen. It was more just like, Oh, you did this thing to that person. Now here's your punishment. Oh, you did this thing to that person. Well, now here's your punishment. 
And when we work in a system that's based on just that, we will continue to see bullying, you know, perpetuated. So, yeah, I think that's really helpful. I mean, there's probably an entire conversation around that, but I think what you said in terms of the holistic perspective, trying to get to the root of the matter and not just this, you know, like parents cause and effect consequence behavior modification. Um, it just means that it'll keep coming the behavior, the bullying, the whatever it is, keeps coming back again and again and again. And we, tr- we try to keep in mind, too, that, that kids do the best they can with what they have, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to do well. And so, you know, if a kid is, you know, doing bullying behaviors, it's, it's often, you know, that's communication, too. It's showing that they might not know or might not have the skills or the understanding or the perspective um, to be able to deal with the situation or to, you know, um, just to respond in a more typical and, and acceptable way. Yeah. You have this unique position of being able to forge relationships with middle schoolers during this, you know, relatively tumultuous time in development, but you're also not the parent, which makes you be able to maybe approach them with less fear because ultimately, you know, it, it might, doesn't feel like it reflects on you, you know, what they go home and do or, or whatever it is. Um, I think it's always a gift to have safe people our kids can trust that aren't their parents. Because I, I think there's definitely a different relationship there when we're talking about adoption and there's attachment issues. We need people in our village who our kids can confide in who aren't us because sometimes we just can't play that role. Um, on the same vein, I'm sure you probably have moments where you wish you could get on your soapbox and tell parents something about their kids that maybe they're not able to see because you sit, you know, in a different position. So if I could give you a soapbox right now and you could talk to middle school parents, like what do you want them to know about middle schoolers? And you've shared some things that I think I could probably tease out already, but you know, if if you could be really clear and just give a couple things that you'd really want parents of middle schoolers to really understand about this age. I I would say that my advice to parents is to stay involved and to stay close with your kids and to communicate with the school, do all the things that you naturally are inclined to do that like you're, you're, I'm sure telling yourself, like, I would like to be more involved, or I would like to know more about this or that, but maybe are being more reserved or not knowing how to go about it. And I would say to trust your instinct, if your instinct is telling you to, you know, call the school and ask a counselor about something that you're concerned about, do that. If your instinct is to, you know, I, I just need to know what's going on with this friend that my, um, you know, that my kid is hanging out with now, call that parent or, you know, I, I think that it's okay to, to want to stay involved and to do the things that you, that you are maybe afraid of doing or feeling like I shouldn't do, you know, and just kind of see where that stuff takes you. And I'll say the other, the other thing, and I kind of talked about this earlier is really allowing your kid to be themselves. Middle school kids, more than anything, they care about what's happening with them, like what is happening in their world with them right now. They feel things pretty deeply. And and so I would just encourage you to let kids do what they're you know feeling and wanting to be and um, really just not passing judgment, just allowing them to show up as they are, and you can have conversations with them and talk to them about it, about, you know, the things that they're feeling or the way that they're um, expressing themselves. But I, I just think it's so important for kids to be allowed the space to kind of wrestle with, 
with who they are as they're developing. To bring it full circle to something you said earlier, you know, it's different than elementary school. In when we're parenting younger kids, there's this illusion sometimes that we have a little bit of control. <laughs> and I think as our kids get older, we realize how not true that is. And it is very scary. And, you know, the process of having kids that are almost a hundred percent dependent on you. And then I think middle school really highlights this transition where they're really moving from not mostly dependent on you and some independent, but mostly independent and less and less dependent. And um, that's a, that's a process for us as parents, right. To kind of own and, and figure out what's in that for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's this feeling of safety too, um, that comes with being seen and, and feeling understood. And I, I know that there are some kids who just may never feel safe being, you know, exactly who they are, um, in different contexts. But I think that the more we can have home be a place that they feel safe and that they feel like they can really just let go and just relax and be, you know, be the person they are, then, then I think that that's, you know, we all need that respite. At school, there are, you know, kids from all walks of life, all belief systems, all backgrounds, and kids are really trying to figure out where they fit within that. And they expend a lot of energy. I mean, they're doing so much emotional work throughout the day that they really need to be able to go home and and not feel this, you know, discomfort and this burden when they're at home. Good words. And we will link, we have a couple episodes on what we call felt safety in the podcast that talks a little bit more in depth about that. So we'll link to those in the show notes as well. So let's pivot a little bit. You had an idea for a book. Um, there's a series called A Kid's Book About, and I don't know all the books that are in that series, but I imagine there's all kinds of topics that that series has covered. And you thought, rightly so there should be a kid's book about adoption why did you think that this was so important uh, so i didn't originally think that that i would be writing with a kid's book about um they're a fantastic company and like you said there's you know different titles and even things like bullying that we just talked about and you know identity that sort of thing but i I got the idea to write a book about adoption really for my niece who was seven at the time and um, my wife and I, once we found out that, um, you know, that we were going to be adopting and that, you know, we, we were ready to have a conversation with her that she was going to have a little cousin. We sat her down and had this moment that my wife and I were really expecting to be this very special thing. And so we talked to her about how we would be adopting a son and he would be born in just a few months. And she immediately started crying and she said, why would you do that? You shouldn't be taking a kid from his parents. Like, and was just had this, this idea of what adoption was that was built upon, you know, what she'd seen on TV shows or maybe what she'd heard from other people. Her perspective was just like that adoption was like just this like sad, tragic thing that like we, and that we were like going to steal a kid from his parents. When she responded in that way, I, you know, I mean, I love her so much. I knew that this was like something that if she's experiencing, many kids are experiencing, right? They, they probably have those same thoughts, those same ways of, of seeing adoption. And so I wanted to be able to write a book that would help 
the conversation gets started about what adoption is, what adoption isn't, um, you know, and then all the different things that come with it, because there there are a lot of emotions that that come with adoption. And there there is um, oftentimes a lot of trauma that's there. And so I think it's good for kids to recognize that those things exist. Um, but I wanted to have it in book form so that they could, you know, so that they could just have some sort of a resource to look at. So, yeah, I talked to um, a kid's book about and just proposed the idea of doing a kid's book about adoption. And I also knew at the time, though, that, you know, coming from just my perspective wouldn't really be appropriate and, and wouldn't honestly help kids understand um, adoption in the best way. So um, I had a former student that I connected with, Leol Gursky, who um, is phenomenal. He was uh, 14 at the time. And just the thought of a 14-year-old being okay with writing a book with his principal, like, should tell you a lot about this kid. I mean, yeah, he's just amazing. And so, um, you know, worked it out with his parents and and we uh, set up a time to really dig in and and talk about adoption. And, and he was super vulnerable. And ultimately, I hope it's going to help a lot of kids. Yeah, I think that dual perspective, you as an adoptive dad, Lil as an international adoptee, I've had a chance to preview the book. It's first of all, it's beautiful. It's it's pleasing to the eyes. It's bright and colorful. And it really does a great job of covering, I mean, almost everything you can think of that a kid might ask about adoption, but in a really simple but truthful way. I mean, it's not it for sure, like you mentioned, is not like an all butterflies and roses book. It's also not a, you know, doom and gloom. I think it really does a beautiful job of starting a conversation and and presenting um, some things that are just facts about adoption. And so kudos to you. I think you guys did a great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, the hope is that the book can kind of provide the, the whole windows and mirrors metaphor that, you know, there are some kids who are going to read this and see a reflection of their own lives or their own experience with adoption. And then there are some kids that are going to read this book and it's going to be a window into a whole new world. And so we tried to make it kind of meet both purposes so that kids, you know, who may not even know or think they know anybody who's adopted can at least understand what adoption is and hopefully have some empathy too in the questions that they ask and the approach that they take when, um, you know, when talking about adoption. As a principal, how do you help your school if you do? What are some ways that you've helped your students or your staff become more adoption informed? That's a goal that I still have. And I'm very open with my staff about the fact that I'm an adoptive parent. And, you know, and just uh, I don't know that I've shared even that I've written this book. I don't I, I, but I will definitely make that um, known at some point. But I do. That's your homework, to, Nabil. You need to go. <laughs> Tell all the people. Yeah, I know. I, I always feel a little weird when it's with my, um, you know, staff or with people that I know closely. It's easier, I feel like, to talk to people who I don't know about it. But one of the big things in in this whole conversation is just, I, you know, we've talked about identity and being seen. And I think that sometimes um, people can hear that a kid has been adopted and that becomes who they are or what they are in a person's mind. And so my goal would be really to help people understand that that's one part of their story. That's one piece of who they are, but it's not what defines them. And so I think that, um, that my goal as a principal too, is to help kids feel like 
they can share pieces of their story or, you know, whatever it is that they're needing to have heard, whether it's with a counselor or a trusted adult in the school and know that, that when the person hears that, that it's not going to become the definition of who they are, that that's just going to be taken as one piece of information that is a part of them. I know that there are parents listening, parents who have kids in school of all ages, really, not just middle school students who are wishing that their teachers, maybe their administrators, um, the people that are interacting with their kids day in and day out were just a little bit more adoption informed. And, and that is to be informed about adoption language, you know, the who's your real mom kind of stuff. And then also, I think it also encompasses a piece of like the trauma informed, like you mentioned, a lot of kids who have behaviors that are concerning to us, if we aren't aware of a child's history or what's going on. And this isn't just for adopted kids either, obviously, that we would want our teachers to ask more informed questions. Like you mentioned with bullying, not like, oh man, this kid's really a bad kid, but like, what's this kid not getting? You know, what need isn't being met that causes him or her to act in this way or what skills or resources do they still need? So Mm-hmm. What advice would you give parents as an administrator? Like, what are the best ways? Like, how do you wish parents would approach you about changes that they want that they would like to see in the schools where their kids attend? I think that most principals are very open to partnership and and just really having that conversation. So I would say that writing an email or or placing a phone call and saying like, "Hey, can we chat for just fifteen minutes? I'd love to." you know, just talk to you about adoption and, and you know, what it means in, in our family and what we feel like, you know, how we feel like being adoption informed could help the school and the community. There are things I think that become blind spots for all of us. And, and adoption tends to be one of them where people don't really have conversations about it. They're often not trained. I, I can't think of a single professional development where adoption has been the topic of conversation or has come up. We have been very intentional about inclusivity and talking about, you know, uh, whether it's gender or any other identities um, that kids come with. But adoption isn't talked about often. And so I think the case could be made to administrators and counselors pretty easily that um, that this is an important thing. And that there are, there is a large percentage of of uh, students who don't know how to talk about adoption and have never had that conversation. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, I love what you said about, you know, when you think about all the different continuing ed, the different trainings and service days that teachers get, you you don't think much about adoption. And really, the reality is, statistically, all of our teachers and administrators are going to have kids who have been touched by adoption in one form or the other, either their current mm-hmm. kids in the foster care system, they have a sibling who's adopted, they themselves are adopted. Um, I mean, it's really almost everywhere. I I feel, and if I can even speak to that with at the elementary level, before um, we had gone through the adoption process, I mean, I'd worked with many kids, like you were saying, who have been adopted or, you know, brothers or sisters or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation was. I thought that I knew enough to be able to understand, you know, what was, you know, kind of what was going on and visitations and, you know, different things like that. But I've learned so much since then about what was really happening. And I feel like I was very ill-equipped at the time to, you know, to really be working with some of those situations. And so now I feel like the more 
education that, that I can, you know, give myself or, or different perspectives that I can learn from, the better I am able to connect with kids and to really help families um, in the way that a principal should be able to. Yeah, well, I super appreciate your teachability, your openness, the book that you wrote, um, you know, moving towards an idea, because I'm sure you're probably not the first parent to think, man, it would be really great if there was a kid's book to explain this really well. And um, as far as I, I mean, there are lots of kid-friendly adoption books out there, but um, nothing quite like the one that you've written. And so uh, again, kudos to you. Thanks for all you're doing um, in your community to help people become more adoption informed and for the, you know, greater universe um, with this book that obviously can reach pretty far. Well, I appreciate that. And and I always, you know, throw out the qualifier of, you know, I don't see myself as any sort of an expert of about adoption. Um, but I do hope that through stories and through, you know, different people's um, perspectives and through conversation that we can all grow. Um, so that's, that's my whole goal here. I have to say, I enjoyed this conversation so much. Nabil is a really remarkable man. And if you were all listening and thinking, I wish he was my kid's principal, I understand that. We actually finished middle school for the very last time last year. The baby of our family is going to high school. And I am really grateful. We have a wonderful principal at our middle school as well. And it makes such a big difference. I don't know. I thought some of his insights into the kids were so great. Like in particular, he talked about how middle schoolers both think and feel things very deeply. They are not shallow. Like they are, they are processing a lot. Middle, middle school is a very, they transform a lot from sixth grade to the end of eighth grade is like a huge transformation. It's such a big deal, right? It is. We, cause they can be goofy and they kind of lose themselves a little bit. Like I think we do maybe underestimate them or attribute some of that transformation that's happening in terms of their brain, you know, gaining and losing connection as the fact that maybe they are maybe a little bit shallow, but you know, we might be missing, you know, we talk so much about what's behind the behavior. We might really be missing what like the deepest longing that they have, which might be to be understood and seen at a much deeper level than maybe what their, you know, crazy middle school selves are presenting. If you'd like to hear more from Nabil, you can connect with him on Instagram at Zarazef N for Nabil. And you can get his book, A Kid's Book About Adoption at akidsbookabout.com. We'll have links to all of those things if you need help spelling things or if you want to go directly to that book. We'll have all those links at the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 141. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Instagram as The Adoption Connection or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.